If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is the Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox. Hello and welcome to the Great Writer Share podcast with me, Daniel Wilcox, where every week I invite some of the friendliest and most hardworking writers around today to join me on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, raw and bounce. Today's date is the 30th of April. Somehow we've steamrolled through April and we're already going into May. It's whatever day of quarantine, but I'm going to waste no time talking about that this week because I am over it. <laughs> uh, straight into my personal update. So, I uh, am chipping away at the second edit of my collaboration for author's book. I have collected a bunch of quotes and inputs from fellow collaborators and a lot of other authors I know in the collaboration sphere. Um, And I've been sewing them into the book and it's really added a nice meaty chunk to the book. So for anyone out there who is interested in what it takes to collaborate, how you can actually get into collaboration um, and sort of some of the specifics of navigating collaborations, then this will definitely definitely be a book for you. And uh, I'm very, very happy with how it's turning out, considering it's my my first nonfiction project. Um, It's working out much, much better than I'd originally anticipated. So I'm I'm quite excited to get that out there and to the people. No, no word on actual release dates yet, but my goal over the next week or so is to sit down and actually work out some kind of launch strategy, some deadlines, some dates. So uh, fingers crossed this time next week, I'll be able to give you some more on that and let you know when that will be going live. In fiction, um, I'm still chipping away at my uh, horror serial that I'm writing at the minute on for my patrons over at patreon.com forward slash Danny Wilcox. Um, with the goal of that being to release the chapters as I write them each week so that my patrons can get advance notice and all that kind of good stuff. And then once all the books are in a shape where they can be shipped onto Amazon, I'm going to start seeding those onto Amazon and building those out. Um, but it's a lot of fun to write and it's it's going better than I'd hoped so far. And I'm really sort of enjoying diving into the story. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. Uh, in podcast news... Next Level Authors is officially live. I'm trying to remember when I last spoke about it on this podcast, but if I haven't already, then myself and Sasha Black have teamed up to create the Next Level Authors podcast, which is a 20 to 30 minute conversation with myself and Sasha in which we talk about how we're leveling up our businesses and uh, holding ourselves accountable each week and inviting you guys to come on board, hold yourselves accountable with us, come along for the journey. Um, and it's been a lot of fun to record that. We've got four episodes live so far. We'll be recording episode five later tonight. Um, and yeah, it's just a, a whole load of fun and I'm learning a lot. It's nice to sit down and reflect and have a chance to talk to another author who's on a similar level to where you are in terms of your author business. Uh, so yeah, come come and benefit from that. And uh, I will drop a link for that in the show notes so that you can see where that podcast is and obviously listen and get involved as well. My final note in my personal update is uh, a 
bit of a biggie for me, which is uh, I officially passed my one year of being a full-time author. Um, I forgot that it was happening, even though I know when the date is. And uh, it was actually my sister that had to remind me by sharing my posts that I shared last year, which weirdly enough didn't show up on my feed. Um, but yeah, one year of doing this full time. I've learned a lot of lessons. Um, I I celebrated with a whiskey. You know what what <laughs> what what better way is there to celebrate? Um, but no, I I'm, I'm very very thankful that I've, I've made it to the year check mark. Soon, I'm hoping that I'll get to number two, number three, number four, and just keep this going. But it's it's gone better than I'd hoped, and I'm glad that I'm still paying the bills and you know enjoying what I'm doing. And that's partly in thanks to my patrons. That's partly in thanks to the people that are buying books, to the friends that are helping me. So I won't name people specifically, but thank you everyone. You know who you are. Today's guest is the incredible Michael David Wilson, who is a Mon Capitan of the This Is Horror podcast. He is a writer. He's had a lot of contributions on my other podcast, The Other Stories. And uh, yeah, he's just an all-round amazing guy. And he's someone that I've been trying to get on this podcast for ages, but our calendar's never quite aligned. And uh, full disclosure, this interview actually happened uh, a few months back in January. And so there's been a bit of a build-up for this one, but we wanted to hold off because uh, Michael has officially released uh, his first novella live onto Amazon, which came out on the 28th of April. Uh, the Girl in the Video, it's a fantastic read. Uh, I, I was lucky enough to have an advanced read, a copy of that. Partly the reason why I've delayed putting this episode out because I wanted to build the hype. And if people are interested in buying that book, then it's now available. So you can jump over to Amazon, get involved, buy that. And you don't have to wait three, four months to actually write, to, to read a book that I've, I've promoted on this podcast. Um, this interview, we, we really go into all bases. Michael runs This Is Horror podcast alongside uh, Bob Pastorello. And he's a very long form uh, speaker and he's uh, obviously an interviewer as well. So we go we go all over the place here and this might actually be my longest interview I've done on this podcast. So if you're listening, Michael, you've, you, you're holding the record at the minute. Um, but we talk a lot about how Michael really sort of started knuckling down on his writing with a series of writing challenges. And after spending a while saying that you're a writer, there, there comes a point where you have to, you know, write to, to call yourself a writer and how he held himself up to account there. Talks about creating your own opportunities um, in terms of entrepreneurship and ways to find gaps in the market and how that built some of the stepping stones for the journey for his author career. Talk about confronting fears. We talk about mental health, giving yourself permission to not be okay. We go a little bit into the inception of This Is Horror and how that came into being. And then, of course, we dive into the the girl in the video and the journey that that book has taken from when it was first written back in 2017, I believe it was, uh, to being published now, April 2020. Um, obviously, some books do take a long journey, so it's very, very interesting to see the process that went behind that. And if uh, if you're looking at putting out your first book or you're looking at going down the line of going through a publisher, then this is definitely one that you want to stick around and listen to. But before we get into the interview, I just want to do a very quick shout out to all my wonderful patrons over at www.patreon.com forward slash great writers share, where for as little as $1 a month, you can get access to loads of extra benefits. You can get early access to the show ad free. I am in the process of, and this is very, very top secret at the minute, but I'll give you a bit of an exclusive. We're in the process of creating a mini series of podcast episodes, which will be going live over to the patrons. Hopefully in the next mm, next couple of months, which will be loads of good stuff, and I've got uh, I've got someone on board who's helping me out with that, and it's going to be very very exciting to to give that to the patrons as an extra bonus, an extra thank you for sticking with us, particularly during quarantine times when I know that cash can be tight, um, and just adding some extra value. So if you're interested, then go over to www.patreon.com/greatwritershare. But now, without any further ado, 
We'll dive into the interview with the one and only Michael David Wilson. Enjoy. Michael David Wilson is the founder of the popular UK horror website, podcast, and small press, This Is Horror. He's a professional writer, editor, and podcaster, and has worked for such companies as 2000 AD, Terrorizer, and Broken River Books. His brand new novella, The Girl in the Video, will be published via Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing, oh, that's a mouthful, on 28th (laughs) of April, 2020, with a second novella, House of Bad Memories, to be published by Grindhouse Press in 2021. Michael's work has appeared in numerous other publications, including the No Sleep Podcast, Dark Moon, Di- uh, Dark Moon Digest, Lit Reactor, Hawk and Cleavers, The Other Stories, hey, and Scream. He is also a professional ESL teacher and graduate of the University of Warwick's English Literature and Creative Writing Program. Michael, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much. And it appears that there's a number of tongue twisters in terms of the publications that I've appeared in. I mean, Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing is not the easiest <laughs> one to, to go for without practice. So No, you know, I was fine until I got to machine and then it, it threw me off. And it's because yeah, on my screen, yeah. the machine is on the second line. So it looked like it was going to... I did practice the intro, but yeah, <laughs> tongue twisters yeah. are tongue twisters. Um, yeah. But yeah, Michael, I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show. This has been a long time in the works. We've, we've been trying to arrange this interview for a while and due to various different things, it's been popping backwards and forwards, but we're here. We're going to make it happen and it's going to be beautiful. Um, but my first question for you, just to get into the head of you as a writer and to let the audience know a little bit more about your journey. Uh, can you just tell us how you got into writing and where that kind of started for you? Yeah, I mean, if we're going to really go back to the beginning, I mean, it's a little bit of a cliche, but to be honest, I've been writing stories ever since I was young. And I think if I was to try and pinpoint it, it probably came from my grandmother telling me these ghost stories when I was four years old, which, you know, m- maybe questionable grandparenting, <laughs> but it certainly unlocked something for me. And then from there, I was just writing stories at school, telling stories to anyone who would listen and probably to people who wouldn't listen as well. <laughs> and I mean, I've always been attracted to both writing and I guess the more macabre and horror. And it's kind of difficult to to say why you're attracted to that. You can try and analyze it, but, you know, it's just something that resonated with me. And I guess in terms of professionally, it was always something I knew that I wanted to do. And in fact, when I was 13, I had a go at writing a very cliched zombie novel. It was mostly a ripoff of Resident Evil, but I just thought, let's see how that goes. And then I also sent a copy to my grandfather. So both grandparents were involved in this and he, he gave me some edits and like actually read through the entire thing, which was wow. pretty impressive considering this is like a 13 year old ripping off Resident Evil. <laughs> um, and then I went to a number of writing programs with the school during high school. And then almost inevitably, my degree was in English literature and creative writing. I've always been writing stories with a view to send them out to be published. But I think perhaps after and during my degree, 
there was so much pressure on writing the perfect story. And indeed, a lot of the professors had a little bit of a closed view and a narrow view in terms of what literature was, that (laughs) it did stifle me a little bit. But then I think 2000 and it was either 2016 or 17, I said, okay, I've kind of identified as a fiction writer for a long time now, but if I'm going to continue to use this label, I need to be writing and writing a lot and getting it out there. And so, as people who have listened to This Is Horror podcast may know, I like to challenge myself. And rather than say, let's just submit a few stories and break myself in, I said, well, why don't I take the one story per week challenge for the entire year and write 52 of these stories? And if I can do that, then I can probably continue to call myself a writer. <laughs> so I, I did that. I, I didn't quite write all 52 because I then learned a lot about myself, including the fact that a short story on average for me is about 10,000 words. So that was a little bit difficult to write 52 of those. But I did end up writing about 30 stories, um, including a number of novellas, and one of which was The Girl in the Video, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later. We'll definitely get to that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And... (laughs) And so since then, I've decided, okay, I can continue to use the writing label. I've got the girl in the video out later this year. I've had a number of stories on your other podcast, the other stories, and in No Sleep, in Dark Moon Digest. I've got another novella coming out next year, House of Bad Memories. And there's also a novella that I co-wrote with Bob Pastorella, who is the co-host of This Is Horror. And whilst we haven't announced anything yet, so I suppose in a way this is a bit of an exclusive, but we're hoping hoping to release that in Halloween of this year. So that is how the writing journey started. And indeed, I've waffled on and kind of told you not only how it started, but where we are today. No, that's absolutely perfect. There's a, there's a lot of stuff that I want to pick from that, actually, because you said a few things that um, I found quite intriguing. The first one being, um, you mentioned about talking to the other kids at school and telling them stories. What, mm. How did that look for you? Because um, I, I'll, in my own experience, I've never had any sort of friends or people that were that kind of storyteller, narrative type of person. Were, were you telling them sort of mini horror stories? Was it just sort of you finding a creative way to explain your day or like a story of something that happened? How did that look for you? I mean, most of the times it would come about after a class where we were encouraged to write stories. And so then I would regale different students with whatever I'd came up with. But perhaps a fond memory I have was when I was in year four. So for American listeners, that would put me at about eight years old. And we all had to write a kind of mini story, a mini book. And then we were meant to read it to a student who was in reception or year one. So I guess that would make them about five years old. (laughs) And so I 
as, as a lot of writers do, I ripped off another story. I ripped off Jack and the Beanstalk, an absolute classic, <laughs> and came up with James and the Chocolate Tree. <laughs> and I mean, as you can imagine, a chocolate tree was growing in his garden. I mean, that must have been great for children. Mm-hmm. And to think, you know, yeah, where's this came from? And there's loads of bars. I mean, I guess I didn't really come up with the details now. So I could, I mean, back then. So I guess I could critique it and say, well, you know, were, were there wrappers or was this just pure chocolate? I, <laughs> I don't know. But the point was the chocolate appeared. And yeah, there was a moral to the story, though, because as he ate more and more of these chocolate bars, the tree started to wither. So there's something about greed. We shouldn't consume mm. too much. And then by the end of the story, so spoiler alert, listen away if you've yet to read it, <laughs> it uh, just diminished and became a big sausage. So I, I don't know if that was... Um, that sounds about right for eight with, years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some definite phallic imagery going on there. Um, I don't know if I was saying, you know, if you're greedy, you're also a dick and therefore your possessions will become dicks. It probably wasn't that thought through. But there's a story that I told someone and that the kid who I told absolutely loved it and wanted Fantastic. me to read it again. And since it wasn't that long, I dutifully did. <laughs> I love that idea of uh, getting the older kids to read something they've written to the young kids. I think that's a really good way to sort of, um, I guess, stir creative writing into people who are younger and give them something to aspire to. It's, uh, it's not something that we had in, in the school that I, I attended. Yeah. So mm. shout out to St. Anne's First School in Budley for getting that right. Nice. <laughs> yeah, definitely share that lesson. Um, yeah. But then jumping forward, so you said it was around 2017 that you started mm. actually looking at putting more words on the page. Um, so around that time, were you writing much fiction or was it just a case of sort of you were dabbling and you wanted to start looking at taking that into a into a more serious fashion? So, I mean, I as I said, I have always been writing and I guess since I did my degree, which was in 2004, I have been writing with an an element of seriousness, but there just wasn't really a consistent habit. So I was writing short stories. I was writing longer works as well. But I mean, I'd often meet up with my creative writing tutor from Warwick, George Tooley, who's been a great mentor and friend. And often he would ask me how the writing's going. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. I've got a few things that I'm, I'm working on. But then I'd find that maybe three or four months have passed. And if I was being honest, it's like, well, what have I really done on, on that story? So there, there were things that were written, but there was no urgency to it. And I mean, yesterday, in fact, me and Bob were talking to... Kelly Dunn, who's a writer and also a contributor for Famous Monsters. And one thing that she said that was before writing, she was doing a lot of writing tangential activities. And and to be honest, I think a lot of us do do that. And I certainly did that. And I think it's because fiction writing meant so much to me and was so important a part of my identity 
that ironically I was putting it off. But for example, starting the This Is Horror website or starting a podcast, it was less a part of who I was. So it meant if I failed, I didn't lose that identity. But sooner or later, you become more frustrated and you think, well, you have to say to hell with the fear and you just have to write anyway. So I'd I'd had a number of stories that have been published before 2017, but that is kind of the point where I, I can recognize it and say I was going to take writing seriously. And I mean, I I think it was either 2016 or 17 where I went full-time self-employed. So I also had a little bit more time. So I split my time between editing, writing nonfiction, podcasting, and then writing fiction. And in terms of writing nonfiction, that has never been a problem for me. I mean, since I was 13, I've been writing for various publications. I wrote a football column called The Premiership for the local magazine. And then I also had a video games column for the local newspaper, which was pretty cool back in the day. Because, I mean, I found that if I wrote to different games companies like Sony and Konami and Electronic Arts, and I said, look, I've got this column, you send me the game, I will give you the review. And I mean, what I didn't say to either the newspaper or to the games companies, by the way, I am a 14-year-old child because (laughs) I thought, you know, they might not send it to me. But I I soon learned, you know, the way to talk to them, the way to ask for games and stuff. And I I think when, when you're starting out and you're faking it, you're perhaps a little bit more formal in your request like Mm. dear sir i am writing on behalf of the kidderminster shuttle and i (laughs) wondered if i could trouble you for a copy of resident evil code (laughs) veronica but then like you you get into it and it's like all right mate so i'd like to review resi you got any copies here's the address cheers your boy michael david wilson (laughs) what's your success rate in receiving a game um Really, really good. Um, especially because I, I remember after I got a game from the first company, I, I can't remember who it was. It might have even been Konami. But I, I said, well, I've already got Konami provided me with some games. So, and you know, then it became, like, oh, Konami, Sony, and IDOS, they're, they're on board. So obviously... You want to get on board as well, don't you? You want some of this this sweet regional newspaper action. (laughs) I mean, we we might be able to shift five copies in the local game if you're lucky. That's fantastic. That's so smart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I, I guess I always had a bit of an entrepreneurial flair and, you know, I... I'm not going to confirm nor deny whether after I might have sold some of the games on eBay to, <laughs> you know, maximize that revenue further. Why not? Um, I, well, maybe why not? Because some of them say not for resale. Mm. So that's why I can't, I can't, you know, you can't take that that did happen. You're just going to have to come up with your own conclusions for that one. 
<laughs> Absolutely. But you mentioned uh, you mentioned earlier a little bit about um, how when you 2017 you decided to go okay let's go hardcore you mm. started looking into building the habit and making that mm. a bit of a regular thing what was your writing process how did it look sort of on the day-to-day beforehand and what steps did you take to build that habit because habits aren't aren't easy to build and I know that speaking for myself taking my writing from dabbling into uh going into sort of the full let's make this a daily habit let's write every day do yada yada it takes a fair bit of building up so how did that come about for you so, I mean, I think I'm strangely determined and persistent. And indeed, I thought it was maybe just how humans could operate. But speaking to my wife, she was like, no, this is not a normal way of doing things. I, I can say something like, right, I'm going to write every single day 2,000 words. And I could confirm that today. And then tomorrow it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> and... I mean, I, I think probably this persistence and determination actually stemmed from when I changed my diet. So, I mean, a little bit of backstory. I was suffering pretty badly with arthritis when I was 18 years old and it built and built and built. And then <clears throat> when I was 21 years old, it had got to a point where I was finding it difficult to walk. I, I mean, I actually sometimes needed to use a walking stick to get around. So it was, it was pretty bad. And I was on 10 prescription tablets per day. I was also injecting myself with methotrexate once a week, which is also used as an anti-cancer drug. And I went to the doctor and obviously asked, what can we do about this? Because I, I felt 10 tablets per day for the rest of my life is, is not a diagnosis I would like to accept. But mm. they said, well, that's the diagnosis we're giving you. And so I just started researching things online and trying different diets. And I mean, at the time, I tried a vegan diet, and that wasn't really working for me. And then while I was Googling vegan protein sources, I somehow stumbled upon the paleo diet. And I don't know if you or listeners know about that, but that's almost like an anti-vegan diet because there's a lot of meat involved in seafood. And there's also an awful lot of vegetables. So, I mean, it's certainly not as high meat a diet as perhaps some people would think it is. Um, But the kind of pitch that was on the website Mark's Daily Apple was, we can transform your health in 30 days. If you follow this, then you will get results. Give us a go. If it doesn't work, then stop doing it. And I was in so much pain, I thought, okay, I'll give it a go. And so this is another example of, so hang on a minute, one day, strict vegan, the next day, right, let's get the chicken and steak on the go. (laughs) And so I did. And remarkably, after those 30 days, I, I wasn't in any pain anymore. And within three months, I had got off all of the prescription medication. I'd also 
lost a bit of weight as well, which um, was just a, a welcome bonus. So I was looking trimmer. Um, and so I guess having transformed my health through diet, I, I then started to think, what else can I actually do? And it just, it, it showed me that I was in control of my life, perhaps a lot more than I thought I was. And you don't just have to wait for luck and you don't have to wait for circumstances. You create your own opportunity. And so from there, I, I was studying... I was studying law after I'd done the English and creative writing degree, mostly because right after I'd done a year in an admin job and I thought, why on earth did I spend all this time at university and now I'm just essentially doing glorified spreadsheets? And I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I think even though I'd always been into writing, there were a few people who had discouraged me and said the classics like, oh, you'll never make any money from it. Uh, <laughs> the greatest doing, hits album. Yeah, do, yeah. Doing, yeah, doing the law degree, I realized, well, one thing that I do know is I absolutely don't want to do law. It might pay a lot of money, but it's just not lighting me up. It's not giving me any kind of internal reward. And so much as I do whenever I temporarily abandon writing, it's like, no, this is, this is what I want to do. And so I, I uh, contacted the heavy metal magazine Terrorizer, got an internship there, uh, interviewed a number of bands, including the stoner band Orange Goblin. That was a particular highlight. Got to meet the Pantera drummer, Vinnie Paul. So that that was pretty cool. And then from there, I started applying for jobs that were kind of related to writing and creativity. So I landed a number of jobs within marketing because at least you get to write mm. some copy and it's a useful skill for promoting books, which, you know, came later. <laughs> and then I formed Read Horror because I was looking for where there is a kind of demand and my interests and skills crossover. And I found that there aren't a lot of publications that are focusing on horror fiction. We've got a number of fiction outlets that are reviewing literature we've got a number of horror outlets that are mostly concentrating on horror movies but there did not seem to be a lot of horror fiction outlets and so read horror was born that became this is horror and here we are today it's all led to this interview it's crazy there's a yeah. <laughs> there's so much there i, I just want to unpick. a couple of things i want to highlight as well is a uh, you, you, one of the things that I find so, so important and particularly in, again, my own journey and from the things that you say you highlighted is the fact that with the paleo diet, for example, you had a win where something worked. So you tried mm. something for X amount of days, you reached that end and stuck with it. And then from that, you experienced enough of a win that you knew that something was working. So you've now got that in your own uh, ecosystem where if you tried other things, you're more prepared for stuff to work, to fail, to accommodate that yeah. because you know that something that you might not have expected to have won 
did. And I think yeah. that's such a big thing for, for writers who um, are scared of putting their fingers to the keyboard, feel like they can't do it. The other thing that you touch on, which I'll feed back into that as well, is the fact that you seem to, along your journey, have tried so many different things. And they're not all related, but they've all got sort of transferable skills. Mm. And I think that ability to to just keep on trying to find the things that work for you. And as your life progresses and as people journey through, you find the things that you can knit together. And like you say, that then culminates in this is horror and everything else that's kind of sprung out of that. Because for people for not list, people listening who might not be aware of this is horror, this is horror um, podcast on the website. I mean, it's it's big. You get some incredible names on your podcast. You have top tier horror writers come on board. Um, I was looking through, I've seen, was it between 10 and 20,000 downloads per, per month for yeah, that podcast yeah, itself, which right. is phenomenal. Um, so congratulations on all that success. But that all sprang just from you trying, jumping over here, giving it a go and just keep pushing it through. And that, I think that's definitely something worth commending, obviously on your side, but also uh, displaying to the people listening that it's possible if you just stick with it and keep going. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I mean, I guess the the origin story of the podcast is a bit of an interesting one as well, because it was a combination of me confronting my own fears and perceived weaknesses and also, again, noticing a gap in the market. So, I mean, I found that I wasn't that great at public speaking and I thought a good way to confront that and indeed something that Tim Ferriss says a lot and Tim Ferriss's books and his podcast have been really inspirational and I kind of found him via paleo because he's almost paleo tangential he's sort of in that uh, world if you like that health space but he talks about confronting your fears and if you do something enough times then eventually it's not going to be a fear anymore so I mean most people again if they think I find public speaking difficult or think well we'll we'll look if we can ease into it and I thought well how about if I book a reading event with some of the greatest writers in the UK, people like Adam Neville and David Moody, we book out the Warwick Arts Centre Conference Hall, and then I host it. Um, on the day, I was thinking, what the hell have I done? It was, <laughs> I, I was absolutely nervous with that. I, w- I was really bricking it, but I mean, I managed to do it. People enjoyed it, and then from there, I thought, well, let's do the podcast and let's see how that goes. Um, also, as I say, there was a bit of a, a, a gap in the market. So I, I guess the three podcasts that influenced me were there was Horror Etc., who were concentrating mostly on analyzing horror movies. There was the Booked Podcast, who interview people, but also review various books but they're not quite horror they're more genre as a whole so of course they do cover horror but there's sci-fi there's thriller there's crime and then the final one was the geek's guide to the galaxy who were probably the nearest to what i wanted to do because they were interviewing different writers but then that was mostly sci-fi and fantasy and I wanted to 
talk with horror writers. So that's what I did. And I mean, the, the first person who we got on the show was Jennifer Lynch. So that was a fairly big name to kick things off. And I'm very grateful that she took a chance on us because, I mean, it, it's a little bit of a gamble if you're the first guest on a podcast. And particularly with the This Is Horror podcast being largely an unknown at the time and her being a, a great director and had just wrapped up the film Chained with Vincent D'Onofrio. But if, if people go all the way back to the first episode and listen to the This Is Horror podcast, and I'm, I'm not necessarily saying <laughs> you should, but you will notice just how, how much worse the audio quality is and also just the difference in my confidence. Um, I, I think back in the day, I would probably follow more of a script. I would have my questions, I would ask them, and I, I wouldn't follow up too much. And I definitely wouldn't get really deep and I wouldn't touch on very personal issues. Whereas now, I mean, I, I think there's there's hopefully quite a bit of energy when I'm presenting and I'm talking to people. And also, I absolutely will follow up on everything. And if you've said something dark or controversial or uncomfortable, you can absolutely guarantee that I'll be <laughs> talking about that. And I mean, I think it was after episode 100, and we did that with David Moody, and he spoke about mental health issues and I realized that there were so many people both listeners and writers who suffer from mental health issues and I mean it's very common for creatives and so I started talking about it more and more and then I had people who would contact me and just thank me for talking about it and for raising an awareness and whilst I like it if someone says thank you for helping me. My writing has improved. For somebody to say, you've helped me navigate and find a way to deal with my depression, that is just next level. And I mean, it means that I'm making a difference in the world, which is just remarkable. Mm. Yeah, it's got to be such a huge, huge win for yourself. Mm. And like you say, it's something that a lot of people... Um, a lot of people go through, I've had a couple of guests on previously where they've spoken a bit about their sort of issues in terms of mental health and how that affects their sort of writing life. And I know that um, you yourself have been through uh, a fair few experiences from some of the episodes of yours that I've listened to. Yeah. Um, how how do you find that your coping mechanisms have advanced over the past sort of year or so since you've sat down and started taking the writing um, more seriously? Because I'd, I'd personally feel like mine not dropped so much, but because I'm constantly throwing myself into the page and I found that because writing can swallow you entirely sometimes and it's always there when you're, particularly if you're full-time, it's always there in your head, that sometimes that can have a bit of a de detrimental effect and finding the balance between each for myself is something I'm still working on. But how has it kind of advanced for you? Yes, it's a, a big question and there <laughs> are many facets of both mental health and then mental health specifically pertaining to writing. So... I mean, in, in terms of mental health in general, 
the first step was admitting that I suffered from mental health issues because whilst if I trace back and look at my life, it's obvious that I've always been prone to depression. It wasn't until I, I guess around 2016 that I actually told people that, you know, I, I, I was prone to depression uh, because I, I think there was the terrible misconception that actually to admit to weakness is in itself weakness, whereas actually it's strong, you know, it takes courage to admit to that. And so in terms of how it relates to my writing, I mean, when I wasn't sending writing out, it was it was almost because I'd done so many things within the horror community that I thought, oh no, I've, I've built up this great website, this is horror, and now if I put my writing out there, it has to equal it. And as, as well, when I'm talking to people like Ramsey Campbell, it's like, how can I interview him? And then I put a story out and it's clearly not going to be as good as Ramsey Campbell. But, you know, I think as well that my style is very different to a lot of the supernatural masters of horror who we chat with. I mean, of course, you've read a number of my stories, but I, I think, I mean, it's a lot more minimalist. It's very dialogue heavy. There's hopefully humor in it. I mean, I think there's humor in it. It makes me laugh, but then sometimes the stories, <laughs> but sometimes the stories that make me laugh the most are the ones that traumatize other people. But you know, <laughs> as long as as long as I had fun, and I just thought maybe if I ship my work, people are somehow going to think it invalidates what I'm doing with this as horror. But really, I mean, that was bullshit, and that was what the the resistance of Stephen Pressfield mm. titles it, it, which is like a voice coming in and stopping you doing the important work. And so on a, on a number of levels, just when I started writing the work and showing the work to other people, it became easier every time, much as it did with podcasting. And I think, I mean, for most things, the more you do something, the easier it becomes. It could also be applied to diet. It can be applied to lifting weights and fitness. It can be applied to cultivating a meditation habit. As cliche as it is, to just start it and to just do it makes things easier. But I mean, again, trying to think of more specific mental health issues. I mean, I think a lot in in life can go back to mindfulness and meditation. And that is to accept that there are some days and there are some periods where things are going to feel a little bit darker. And it's you just have to accept that. And for me, even on my darkest days, there's a little light that says there's the possibility of a brighter tomorrow. There's just that little bit of hope. And also being kind to myself. If there's a day where I'm feeling utterly destroyed and I don't want to write, giving myself permission to not write on that day, just 
go for a walk, have a lie down, play a video game, do whatever you need to do. And I mean, not beating yourself up is a really important lesson for life. And I think particularly if you are target and goal driven as I am, and as I know you are from you know listening to your podcast, it, it's easier said than done. And sometimes if I was sitting there not doing work, I would feel guilty. But I mean, I, I burnt out in, I think, 2015, 2016 for trying to do too many damn things. And then after that, I realized that another part of the creative life is taking that time to recharge and taking that time you know, to sleep, as silly as that sounds, but getting the necessary sleep per night, whatever that is for you. I mean, for a lot of people, it's between seven and nine hours, but that is an important way of recharging and being able to optimize the next day. I mean, you can't optimize it if your battery is on low. And also just taking a broader look at things and seeing what's important to you. And I mean, I, I have a wife and I mean, there were times when I probably wasn't spending a lot of time with her because I was obsessing over the writing. Now, luckily, she stuck with me and I spend a lot more time with her. But now I also have a daughter. So, I mean, I, I don't know if you found this as well, but having a child in a way simplifies things because now she comes first and her needs are first. So it can make deciding what to do easier because if it benefits her most, that is the thing that I'm going to do. And as I say that, I'm, I was going to say, I've forgotten what you asked me. You know, you asked me about uh, mental health. Yes, I yeah. We, we've covered a lot, so I'll let you no, I think there's jump a, back in. Yeah, no, there's a lot of advice there, a lot of uh, stuff that definitely resonated. Um, I think the big one that you picked up on as well was giving yourself permission to not be okay when that is yeah. how you feel because yeah. by forcing yourself to carry on, and I've, I've experienced the same of being in and out of um, bursts of burnout and still trying to power through because I figure I should be a superhero. I should still be able <laughs> just to keep this going. It's just this, this too shall pass. Um, yeah. but no, actually giving yourself that, that time sometimes. And, um, this weekend for me, bar this conversation, which I don't really count as work because it's always nice chatting to people. Um, good, I've, good. <laughs> I've put the writing aside just to regenerate, have a bit of a break, mm. uh, spend some time with my son and yeah, similar stuff to that. Um, but one of the things that you, you mentioned a bit earlier and one thing that we do want to get onto is, uh, the girl in the video. So you've got a brand new novella coming out at the end of April. Um, I've read it. I've had an advanced copy. Uh, I, hate you for it because <laughs> I was shattered. I was like, I'm going to read a chapter or two and then I'm going to go to bed. And I ate, uh, I ate, I read the whole fucking thing in one sitting um, and stayed up past my bedtime. So thank you for affecting my own mental health. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's, let's uh, discuss where, where you say that, um, that idea came from one of your, your short stories out of that period of um, trying to hit a short story every week for a year. How, how did the journey go from finishing that story into where it's at now with Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing? Yeah, well, I mean, firstly, I should apologize for affecting your sleep after <laughs> giving this lecture as to how important it is. And now I've it was done worth that. It. I'll so, put that. It was worth it. it yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess next time I'll have to try to 
you know, write a, a less page turnery <laughs> story yeah. for you. Just, just write some, some drivel. Yeah, have some consideration for goodness sake. <laughs> but yeah, in, in terms of how the story came about. So I wrote it during this one story per week challenge and Max Booth and Laurie Michelle at Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing, they'd put out this call for lost films, an anthology where, well, as you can tell from the title, there has to be a lost film of some sort. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking uh, about how I could approach that. And then I started planning out the girl in the video and I think the limit in terms of word count was 10,000 words for this short story anthology. And as I said before, I tend to write things that are a little longer than they should be. I mean, as an aside, a lot of the stories for the other stories, what you may not know is many of them at first draft are 4,000 words, and then I have to cut them down to 2,000 to meet the, the word count. And as so happened with the girl in the video, I think the first draft came out at 18,000 words. And I mean, I, I messaged Max and I said, well, I, I've overshot the word count a little bit. What is the maximum you could accept? And he said that he got another story that was about 13 or 14,000. And that was going to be the longest one in the book. And I mean, I can't remember exactly how it went, but I said, well, what would you think to, to this 18,000 word story? And he, he would have said something along the lines of, well, I think it wouldn't be accepted for lost films. <laughs> that's, that's far too long. But he wanted to, to take a look at the story anyway. And so I sent it over and then he enjoyed it so much. He said, well, how about if I were to publish this as a standalone novella, would you be interested? And obviously I said, yes, of course I would be interested in that. And so that is where, where we're at. And so then it went through a few more drafts. I think it's been expanded. So it's now about 25,000 words. So it's a, a solid length for a novella rather than just kind of meeting that minimum word count requirement and I mean it's been quite a long process because I, I finished it in 2017 but we've been tinkering with it for these past three or so years and finally we have that final text the text that you read and it's going to be published in three months from recording and Hopefully, at the time that you're listening, it's either going to be imminently available or it, it is available. So head over to Amazon and <laughs> pick up a copy. Mm, absolutely. And this is a moment where you'd hold up a beer and we'd, we'd salute. But I, I did bring one because it's also in the middle yeah, of the day. Yeah, um, I, don't, I think we've both got water given that it's like 1, 1 p.m. in the UK. So, so hardcore. There we go. I mean, <laughs> Cheers. It's not, a, it's not a, a video podcast, but we have the video on. So we do. Yeah. We, we benefited from that. Sorry, <laughs> audio listeners. Just an audio. I'll add a little clink in post. Um, but, a good idea. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, the, the whole journey of this, is, it's kind of testament as well to the fact that um, just by producing and having this sort of stack of content that you can 
pitch to different people is so advantageous to yourself um, and obviously anyone else that works that way. I'm, I, I make the mistake of collecting all my short stories and putting them into an anthology that I publish myself when I could probably try and reach out and, and network those a bit more. Um, but yeah, the fact that you've got this sort of pool of, of stories that you can now target and take to different people, I think that's a, a really good way for, for people just to build up that stock. And rather than, um, like I did at the start of my journey, trying to write specifically to one magazine or blog or whatever until you hit that, just write the stuff that you love, write what you're enjoying, and then find a place where it fits. And obviously with Max Booth, that's something that, that worked for you guys. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, I mean, there are no hard and fast rules and really the caveat as per Bruce Lee is take what you want, take what works, discard what does not. And I mean, I think you've put all your stories together in your own anthology. Other people have spread them out with other publications and you do what works and what you think is right at the time. And I mean, for me, I'm quite attracted to the hybrid model of publishing where there's a few things that I'll independently put out and then there are other things where I'll go with small presses or hopefully in the future traditional presses and I'll I'll see what works for me. I mean, it is a bit of an experiment, but I think things are a little bit more complicated for me because I've published things via this is horror and i've got that experience working as an editor and a publisher the kind of goal posts uh, it's a little bit higher in terms of what i need a press to be able to do for me because there's so much that i could do for myself so i i'm seeing what works and which one is going to be most beneficial for me so i mean Part of the reason for going with perpetual motion was that I, I respect Max and Laurie. I like the work that they've put out. I know that there's always going to be high quality in terms of what they do. But I thought as well, in, in at such an early stage in my career, I like having that nod of approval and saying, actually, this is worth publishing because if I'm independently publishing it I'm the only one really saying this is worth publishing and I wanted someone else to do that for me Um, but even the girl in the video is a little bit of a hybrid because Max and Laurie are putting out a paperback and the ebook but I've retained the audio rights and I think it's really important to have an audiobook out so Mm. I have commissioned a narrator and I will be releasing the audiobook, hopefully to coincide with the release of the physical book. And as someone who is such a fan of audio, I mean, I have my podcast, I listen to a number of audiobooks. I just think everyone should be putting out audiobooks. It, it feels like a missed opportunity and money that you're leaving off the table when you know or is it on the table the fact is the money should be going in my pocket (laughs) from the audiobook and yeah i think you're leaving it on the table Mm. but that's someone else's table i want it on my table (laughs) (laughs) these these metaphors are getting 
confusing, but we've <laughs> nearly been talking for an hour now. So yeah. hopefully people will forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me a, a little bit about uh, your Nightworms cover reveal, because I saw this on Instagram um, uh-huh. and I was very curious by it because uh, that it's a very, um, what's the word? It's a very, very modern way of promoting and getting getting your word out there and obviously you've worked in marketing I've used to work in marketing there's a lot of stuff here about social influences but tell us a little bit about what that was and and how that came about so in terms of the cover reveal it was mostly Max Booth who decided to go with Nightworms and then he asked me if I would be interested in that or if that was something that I approved of now I did because Nightworms are a fantastic company. They put out a lot of curated boxes of horror books. And indeed, I sold them a number of copies of A House at the Bottom of a Lake by Josh Malaman for their Malamaniacs package. So, I mean, I knew that working with... Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Nice little throwback to the Hulkamaniacs (laughs) as well. Yes. You know, take your vitamins and all that. But yeah, like working with Sadie and Ashley at Nightworms was was a, a pleasure. And these are two people who are very passionate about horror. They also have a big presence in the bookstagram world. And so it just seemed like a no-brainer really to get them to reveal it. Also I think that two emerging promotional markets that are often neglected are both Bookstagram and YouTube. I think, of course, podcasts are essential, but I feel that people know that now. I feel more and more people are coming on podcasts to promote their work. But I think Instagram even though it's been around for a while, not that many people are utilizing it. And I think that is a mistake. And I think you've you've got social media networks that I think are are dying in in some way and are on the decline and are not as influential as they used to be, like Facebook. But then you've got other networks like Bookstagram, where I just think, well bookstagram isn't the social network instagram and i i think they're getting more and more powerful and they've got a community that is often distinct from the community on twitter and facebook whereas i think those on twitter and facebook there's more of a crossover and i mean i i said that facebook is on the decline which is why it was pretty smart of them to buy Instagram. So, (laughs) you know, like if Instagram rises and Facebook falls, then Zuckerberg is still going to do quite well out of it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, We are coming up close to time now. So I'm going to ask one more question before we go on to our Patreon question. And uh, that question for you is, what impacts do you wish to have from your writing? Well, I think I want to... Uh, to be honest, this is going to sound a little bit Garth Marenghi or something in how I'm going <laughs> to answer this. But I do, I do want to entertain people. But at the same time, if I can make think, people think about different issues and affect people in some way, then that would be fantastic. I mean, I think what you want as a writer and what I want is just to make someone feel something to 
elicit a reaction. And that's why I also think it w- it's far better to get a load of five-star reviews and a load of one-star reviews than for everything to be kind of three stars middle of the road. You don't want to put out a lukewarm book. You want to put out a book that is really going to affect people. And if you have to have haters to have lovers, so be it. Nicely put. Okay, so uh, this question was submitted by one of our patrons over at www.patreon.com forward slash great writers share. And this is from Ian J. Middleton, who asks, are there any common mistakes you see from first time horror writers when it comes to short stories and novels? I think because I do a lot of editing, I notice a number of mistakes that are not just common to horror, but common to writing in general. And often that is using dialogue tags when they're not necessary. People keep reminding you who is talking when there's only two people in the conversation. I think added to that, adverbs with dialogue tags when they're not necessary. And I mean, Stephen King said in his book on writing that if you're going to use adverbs, firstly, use them sparingly, but use them when what you're saying is surprising or use alternatives to said when it's surprising. So if it's obvious that the line of dialogue is shouted, You don't need to say shouted. You can show that through the punctuation and you probably don't need to have any dialogue tag at all. But if somebody is scolding someone, but they're whispering, now it's a case for throwing that in. So that would be an example of something that people starting out do a lot. I think as well, you'll see people writing things in a way that just shows that they're not confident and they'll use various filler words like maybe and perhaps and just things that aren't as concrete. And if I had a manuscript in front of me, I could definitely pull up better examples. But because I'm doing this on the fly, I can't. So (laughs) there you go. There are things that are definitely white. I I know that I see a lot, particularly... First drafting a lot as well. I think, um, sorry just to cut into you, but I think uh, first drafting, you get a lot of first writers don't go back with the editorial eye, where I think the more Mm. you experience your own writing and see other people's, the more harsh you are when you go back and edit. So I can imagine that when you're looking at scripts, early writers maybe haven't taken out so many of those early mistakes as as other people. Yeah, yeah. And there are so many words that are overused, like just and Mm. though and only, and everyone's just doing something. Oh, you just nipped out to the shops. I'm just going to try this and just do that. And there are cases when you need to use just, but do it sparingly. Mm. And I mean, for words like that, I will go through, I will find just, and I will have to justify pun intended (laughs) whether that just is needed and if you don't need it do not throw an equivalent of justin don't put simply or anything like that also a number of people will overuse that and that can often 
be cut. So it, it's looking for these words that are essentially filler or redundant. And if you can move, if you can remove them and the sentence is still intact, then do it, you know, remove all the words that you can. And that is particularly crucial for me when I tend to overwrite and then I have a publication such as the other stories where I need to to lose a load of words. And I mean, the other stories has been great in terms of really fine tuning my stories. And I, I told you I tend to write long short <laughs> stories. So that's why I submitted so many to the other stories to see actually I can write <laughs> these short, short stories. And also, I mean, the themes are fantastic because it's meaning that I'm having to challenge myself and write things that I ordinarily wouldn't write. I mean, cosmic horror is not something I particularly gravitate towards. So then I came up with the story, The Mold in the Walls, or The Mold on the Wall, and like a lot of people have said, it's one of their favorites that I've done for the other stories. So Absolutely. It, it is important to challenge yourself. Mm. Yeah, I, I definitely think that writing, and obviously you're spinning away from the question, but writing in, in the much shorter form, um, it, it teaches you a whole new whole new level of what is needed in a story, what is compulsory, what actually helps that narrative along. Um, and we do, we get so many entries because we're 2000 words is our, is our cutoff, but we give like plus or minus 10%, um, mm. obviously, as you know, but we'll get yeah. people that submit 2300. We get people that submit 1700 and we just, we just have to push them away because that's not within the criteria. And it sucks because we get some um, awesome content from that, but that's just one of the, the cons about when you get 30 or 40 submissions you have to be strict. You have to go with what works. And and you're writing the, the stories that you've submitted through. I mean, you've had a lot of stories featured on the other stories and they are they are quality stuff. So um, this guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, Thank you. you're very, very welcome. Um, now, before we sign off, I'm just going to jump into our quick fire round, which right. gets the, the heart pumping, gets the blood flowing around the body. But I've got 10 questions I'm going to throw at you as quickly as possible. And you have to try and reply as quickly as possible. Okay. Passing is fine, um, but it's all just in fun. Okay. Okay. Sweet. Freddy or Jason? Freddy. How many grains of sand can you fit in one hand? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm going to pass that. That is ridiculous. <laughs> a waiter served you soup with a dead fly in it. What is your response? To politely ask if I could get another soup. <laughs> What's your favorite type of ball? Um, football. <laughs> What's your favourite film of all time? Uh, I mean, it, this could change any any day, but let's say A Clockwork Orange. Nice. What's the one book you've recommended more than all other books? Uh, it would have to be something by Haruki Murakami. Uh, the Wind-Up Bird Chronicle. What's your favourite type of tree? What are these questions? <laughs> I don't know. The, the oak tree is the one coming to mind for no nice. real reason. <laughs> Sushi or Sunday roast? Sunday roast. Surfboarding or kayaking? Kayaking. Cool. There we go. Questions. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, something a bit interesting just to, to end it off, but um, 
yeah to one extra question for you where can our listeners find out more about yourself and your work so you can find out about me and my work at www.michaeldavidwilson.co.uk and you can find out about This Is Horror on my podcast at www.thisishorror.co.uk. That was beautiful. That was practice. And uh, <laughs> the girl in the video out 28th of April, 2020. Make sure you grab a copy. Uh, Michael David Wilson, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a blast. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you very much. <laughs> no worries. And thank you everyone for listening and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Great Writer Share podcast. Next week, I'll be joined by the smash hit sci-fi and post-apocalyptic author, Nick Cole. Don't forget you can get early access to every episode of the Great Writer Share podcast and the chance to ask upcoming guests any of your questions just by becoming a patron of the show. All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritersshare and support the show for as little as $1 a month. One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritersshare. Until next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey, y'all, this is Kenya, creative director and co-founder of Domino Sound. And this is Alexandra De Palma, executive producer and co-founder of Domino Sound. And we're a queer, disabled, Black woman-owned podcast production company and network creating authentic, inclusive, provocative content. We just launched Domino Presents, which is a new series of special audio projects. The premiere episode features the founders of Poppy Juice, the queer art collective throwing the hottest parties in New York City and around the world. We also recommend The Cheat Code, our hit 10-episode audio soap opera surrounding a love affair. Think Love and Hip Hop meets The Affair meets The Sopranos. Follow us on IG at dominosoundco to keep up. And listen to our shows on the ACAST app or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Domino Sound. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.